Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today's Wednesday, May 17th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Apparently, here at The Real Look, our opinions have sway on what goes on in the mortgage industry. In fact, uh, we reported just recently the changes to the LLPA, which is the loan level pricing adjustment that was coming out. And now the Federal Housing Finance Agency on Wednesday announced that it would rescind a controversial loan level pricing adjustment for conventional borrowers with debt to income ratios at or above 40%. In fact, the FHFA, which regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, had previously delayed implementation of the DTI, (laughs) this is a lot of acronyms, right? DTI LLPA from May 1st to August 1st, following a chorus of upset from the mortgage industry and including the Influential Mortgage Bankers Association. So, Chase, what are your thoughts around rescinding this? Well, I think, you know, Bruce, there's a couple different pieces. One is I appreciate the fact that feedback can be heard. And regardless of our opinions here on The Real Look, there was a lot of feedback, both politically in the form of public opinion, if you will, and directly from the Mortgage Bankers Association, the National Association of Realtors and others that have some pretty strong lobby arms of these organizations. And I think the complaint from the mortgage broker specifically was just that It was too complicated and, in their words, unworkable from an implementation standpoint. So it's less about like how we felt, you know, whether it's socioeconomically or politically, either way around fees. It was more like, how the heck are we even going to implement this, which is why it had been pushed back originally and, of course, now rescinded. For example, they mentioned grids. There's actually 81 grids for purchase loans, limited cash out refinance loans, cash out refinance loans and others. And so when you think about the complication of the fee structure, right, 81 grids sounds like a lot to me. I wouldn't say I'm incredibly familiar with how many grids there was before and and the difference, but it does sound like it was kind of complicated. And there was concern from the National Association of Realtors and the Mortgage Brokers Association that could hurt middle wealth homebuyers and increase overall pricing. Nice to see them listening, right, to some of that feedback. You're right. I mean, the cost of getting into a home today is so much higher than it has been. And, you know, we've got to figure out ways to go make it affordable for people so we can get more and more people into houses. 81 different grids. What a crazy idea is that? Because now, you know, you think about as a a loan officer trying to identify which grid my people are in to figure out what I'm going to be charging them for their loans. So, yeah, good news all the way around. Yep. Not to mention that, Bruce, but if you think about the consumer, they typically tend to prefer simplicity, right? Mm-hmm. It's tough to understand. In addition to the change in rates, it was kind of kind of bad timing all the way around, if you think about it. But certainly adding complexity to something is very rarely good for the consumer experience as well. So like you said, went all the way around. Well, Chase, the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or commonly known as the CFPB, 
filed a brief this week with the U.S. Supreme Court contending that its funding source does not violate the Appropriations Clause of the U.S. Constitution, despite a recent Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling stating otherwise. In fact, in its brief, CFPB contends that the manner in which it is funded falls under traditional readings of the Constitution's text, in that an appropriation of funding is defined as simply a law making a particular source of funding available for particular uses, and that the founders knew how to limit Congress's authority to make appropriations when they wished to do so. You know, the CFPB, which came about as a result of the financial crash back in 2008, has been a controversial body, right? I mean, not particularly well-liked by the people that uh, it oversees. But what are your thoughts around this? Well, it's funny, Bruce. I wrote down the same notes that they're under fire multiple times because actually this is not the first time that there's actually been action in court against the CFPB. Back in 2020, there was a court called CELA Law LLC versus the CFPB, which asked the court to determine whether their substantial executive authority violates the constitutional principle of the separation of powers between the branches of the federal government. So you're right, a very controversial bureau or organization now having to defend themselves in court again. That's a tough proposition, whether it's because you have too much authority in someone's opinion, or in this case, you're being funded improperly by the government. They are definitely under fire here once again. And really, the funding question is that they were funded by the fines that they levied. That feels like a conflict of interest right? Contention here is they should be funded by Congress rather than funded by levying fines on different companies and individuals. It was interesting that case that they lost was that the appointed director could not be fired by the president. The court found that absolutely they can, Mm -hmm. in which case that happened, by the way. So yeah, I think this is interesting. The impact to us individually is not great unless, of course, you're out there violating CFPB rules, uh, in which case that could change the amount of the fine that they levy against you. Yeah, regardless of the validity of the organization, I don't think we would ever (laughs) encourage violating any of the rules. So it's a little (laughs) interesting to watch these things play out in court. Well, in other news, when you look at the mortgage origination business, those guys have taken a hiding from this market that we've got. In fact, UWM Holdings Corporation, which is the parent of United Wholesale Mortgage, reported a financial loss in the first quarter amid a decline in the fair value of mortgage servicing rights, or MSRs, and falling origination volumes. In fact, the Pontiac, Michigan-based lender announced a non-GAAP, right, general acceptable counting practices, adjusted net loss of $106.6 million in the first quarter. And that was double the $53.3 million loss in the fourth quarter of last year. Now, by the way, if you actually do the gap losses, their net loss was $138.6 million. For our listeners, Chase, UWM is the largest mortgage company now in the country. They originated $22.3 billion in mortgage loans in the first quarter of 2023. And the next closest competitor is Rocket Mortgage, which originated $17 billion. So uh, what are your thoughts around what's going on in the mortgage industry? Well, there's just a number of factors, Bruce, and some of those are listed here in the article, right? In terms of higher rates, we're well-documented on covering what's happened with rates. 
lower inventory of number of homes for sale and how that's impacting the number of loans that are being done. What's interesting though, Bruce, is the other thing that was kind of the triple whammy, if you will, on top of those was the implosion of the refinance market. Because actually UWM recorded slightly more 19.2 billion in purchase loans in the first quarter versus first quarter of last year, 19.1. Some would say that's flat, but it's actually their record first quarter for purchase loans. But the big difference was made up in almost no refinances happening, cash out refinances and otherwise, right? Just because of what's happened with rates. Makes for a challenging quarter, not just for UWM, but for a lot of lenders. These bloated and inflated P&Ls from an expense perspective because of all the volume they were doing. And then we've got to drop off the table, not only in number of applications, number of transactions, and certainly number of refis that have made it a difficult market to be in. Yeah. And it was interesting because, you know, UWM wanted to maintain and actually grow their market share. So in June of last year, the company launched a program called Game On. That Game On program resulted in them slashing prices across all loans by 50 to 100 basis points. They've decided to pull back on that strategy, transitioning to another program that gives 125 basis points to brokers as a discount for any loans with up to 40 basis points per loan. Now, what that has done for them is their profit per loan was basically 51 basis points in Q4 of 2022. And in Q1, even though they lost more money, they're actually making 99 basis points mm-hmm. per loan. Again, you know, you've got to look at all the numbers. Just cutting and making price, you've got to be careful because that will eat away. If, if you're not making money on the loans and you cut the price of those loans, you're going to make less money on those loans. Yeah. And there's a couple things here, Bruce, and maybe some good news in all of this, right? Certainly a tough quarter and a couple tough quarters, but the CEO of UWM, I believe it's Matt Ishbia, and I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. He owns the uh, Phoenix Suns, by the way. Oh, he does. Okay, great. So he's got his hands in a couple of pots. You know, he said that while we can't control interest rates and the effect of those fluctuations on our MSR portfolio, we can control our operational profitability and have demonstrated that our business model performs despite the natural cyclicality that occurs in the mortgage industry. Now, the reason I had that underlined, Bruce, is we've been having that conversation about a lot of companies on this podcast. Like, can you perform grow market share, earn a profit in the bottom of a cyclical industry, right? That is a big question mark. And according to him, he thinks that they can. When they implemented the program that you mentioned and kind of slashed their cost, they actually did see quite a jump in their market share. Matt estimates UWM went from a 30% market share in the wholesale channel before the game on strategy to 55% after the program. That's 15 percentage point gains. And even if our market share stayed in the 40% range, he said, that'd be a massive success. And that'd be hard to argue with. Yeah. And they've got the cash, right, which will give them the runway to be able to work through this bottom end of the cycle. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I, I think the approach of chasing market share is an interesting one. To think that they have 55%. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> So, yeah. And what we know, right, is that whoever has the number one market share gets to control their destiny, certainly more so than number two, three, four or 15. As this news rolls out, right, we're in earnings reporting season. Mm -hmm. Home point capital 
also another large lender, reported another quarterly loss on Friday, just two days after announcing that it had been sold to Mr. Cooper Group for $324 million in cash. And that transaction will actually result in HomePoint Capital shutting down in the coming months. Overall, HomePoint delivered a non-GAAP adjusted net loss of $28.3 million from January to March, and that was larger than the $21.7 million loss in the previous quarter. In fact, their GAAP net loss was $133.8 million, and that was according to documents filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We're seeing a lot of maneuvering, a lot of changing, the bigger getting bigger, and everyone else is struggling. Yeah, a lot of consolidation, Bruce. Like you mentioned in the previous story we shared, UWM having that amount of market share and that amount of cash allows them to do some things that others just can't do. It also allows them to ride out some of the difficult down cycles of the industry, whereas you've got home point capital here just basically failing to adjust to a landscape of high mortgage rates, low inventory levels, and fierce competition. So on the opposite end, you've got UWM feeling like they're winning and gaining market share despite a tough quarter profitability-wise, and then HomePoint Capital actually selling because they've had a number of bad quarters in a row and aren't able to make it. So it is a very tumultuous time in the loan industry right now, based on all the factors we're well-versed in, well-covered in. And I think the lesson here for us, Chase, as realtors and real estate company owners, is that we're seeing the same thing starting to play out in our portion of the industry. And this mortgage business is ahead of us, right, in terms of these changes taking place. And I think it's fascinating that HomePoint made the decision to do this and actually sell to Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper saw value in that and paid them $324 million. By the way, at the end of March, HomePoint actually had liquidity of $100 million in cash. So in their mind, they're saying, okay, we could actually do better for ourselves, our customers, and everybody else involved by now being acquired by Mr. Cooper so that we can continue to do that. And I think we're going to see the same thing, right? And and we already are to a degree across the industry where we're seeing real estate companies looking to align themselves with bigger or more financially liquid partners in order to make it through this down cycle. Yeah, there's something to be said, Bruce, for strength in numbers. And oftentimes that might be someone you thought of as a competitor just yesterday now becomes a strategic partner. And that's kind of exciting if you think about it, right? Requires a little bit different thinking, definitely some different maneuvering and strategizing. But at the end of the day, it might be the thing that actually helps you win, whether it's you as the owner you as a stakeholder, or even for the people that you serve. So I think we are just really on kind of the front edge, if you will, on some of these acquisitions slash consolidation mergers. There's lots of different words that we use to think about them because they're all a little different, but conceptually, a lot of similarities. And the market is absolutely driving a lot of that right now. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode, where we'll interview Zach Entwistle with Keller Williams Tacoma in Tacoma, Washington. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.